This episode is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The APN is a project created by Karen Unlin to provide support and community to local podcast initiatives here in Alberta. Podcasts like my new collaboration with Kyle Marshall, Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. Kyle, a foolish genius with a heart of gold, has created a machine that is hell-bent on world destruction, unless we comply with its demand to watch movies and review them. Movies from a specific year, specifically 1999. And if you're interested in flashing back to an era before Y2K, but full of ominous writing and bleak outlooks and doomsday itself, look no further than the machine forcing us to watch Message in a Bottle. Don't miss it. It's on a podcast streaming platform. We're apparently on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that at KNDVTM. Or find us on the Alberta Podcast Network homepage, albertapodcastnetwork.com. Now for today's episode. Last month, on January 22nd, 2020 specifically, I got to sit down with Alice Lam, an incredible entrepreneur and Calgarian motivated by culture and community building. We met through mutual friends Caleb and Kitty, owner and operators of Sodden Found Coffee Roasters in Crescent Heights. They told me of this mystical woman landlord who built night markets and backyard community parties and was scouring the city for like-minded people to help stimulate arts and culture, even offering contacts through her property management career to access spaces for shows and events. I've since learned that her connection to the city is one that defines her. Everything she does is underlined by an innate desire to push Calgary forward into the collaborative environment we all desire. I hope you'll take some time to listen to her vision for the city we live in, where she comes from and how her life has shaped her vision of what Calgary can be. Whether it's working to develop neighborhoods, building artist spaces, creating neighborhood events, inventing a volunteer app, apparently writing children's fiction, administrating for the Women's March, advocating for the Chinese-Canadian community, and the myriad other pieces on her resume, I think we can all agree on one thing. There cannot possibly be a way that this woman sleeps. Here's my chat with Calgary's community builder and culture advocate, Alice Lamb. Boundaries, like that's the hugest part. And I was like, huh. A lot of these things could be applied to human relationships. I was like, oh, maybe I should be like taking some of this for my normal day-to-day stuff. A little bit. Although humans, the problem with humans, we narrative build. Yes. Yeah. But after this 13-minute intro. Oh, sorry. No, it doesn't really matter because, you know. uh, You'll like edit it. No, no, I won't. Oh, okay. This is a great picture of you, Alice. (laughs) Because you you don't sleep. I'm convinced you don't sleep. So, uh, we'll just quickly introduce you, Alice. Uh, yeah. What is it exactly that you do here? Okay, so my day job, I'm a property manager. I manage like 23 buildings in Calgary. Um, commercial spaces, so strip malls, a little bit of office. Um, mostly in the Beltline, but we have stuff in the Burbs as well. So, my favorite project is Tigerstead Block, which is... Uh, kind of a pet project that we've been working on over the past year where we've revitalized it. And it all started with Sought and Found because every conversation that you have with them is so like genuine and all they care about is like coffee is just the vehicle for them to build relationship in the community. And I think that that was so beautiful. And I was like, okay, I need to do whatever I can to make this place like popular and busy so that they can stay here forever because I love what they're working on. And so because of them, like wanting to bring more people to the block, we started with like a flea market event in the back parking lot like a year ago. And then since then it's just 
growing. It's, it's just grown to like night markets, to like Christmas markets. Um, we opened up our pop-up shop that gives like small business a chance to have a retail presence without paying like full rent. So everybody shares, it's like a co-op model. And I started a volunteer website that Matt, like I always say it's Tinder for volunteering, but it's really just like helps people find volunteer opportunities. So treat us like a volunteer concierge service. And it's just telling Calgarians how to give back in ways that you may not normally think of. And other stuff like Chinatown. I don't know. Lots of stuff. I volunteer a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And you wrote children's book. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like self-published in a book club. Um, We're doing candy grams for Valentine's Day. I don't know. I just love like doing stuff that gets people out of their homes and bonding and clicking with each other. I think that that's like the beauty of living in Calgary. Like there's so much potential. On the weekend, we did a talk for the Women's March thing. Um, they had a whole full day program at the uh, public library, which was really cool. And I was a part of the youth caucus and just sharing about like why volunteering is important. And it's really like if you want Calgary to be cool, you have to be out there and you have to volunteer and get stuff going. Like people can't do it alone. You have an idea, like let's make it happen because that's how we move Calgary forward, right? That's uh, sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> but we're, uh, so I guess, I mean, we kind of talked about this a long time ago at Monogram, but you know, where does this strong sense of community come from? I mean, you're, it turns out, Calgarian. Yeah. Um, and your parents immigrated here, right? They're yeah. Not, yeah. So, um, yeah, well, if you had to try to self-analyze. To, yeah, them. to like find the root. Honestly, like for a long time, I always made the joke that I was from watching Sister Act. I don't know if you guys remember the scene where they're like trying to revitalize the church or whatever. And Whoopi Goldberg's like, let's open the doors and clean up the neighborhood and paint murals and have a thing for kids. And like, I watched that like all the time as a kid because my parents were religious and they were like, oh, this must be a good movie for children. There's a nun on the cover. And so from that, I think I was like brainwashed into thinking that it's cool to bring people together. And also growing up Christian, you know, obviously that had an impact, like being a good neighbor, helping people out, all that stuff. Um, to this day, I kind of like rejected that religious aspect for a long time during my youth and stuff. But now as I get older, I realize that it did like, you know, inform a lot of the philosophy of how I live my life, regardless of whether I support kind of organized um, religion. But now as I'm getting older, it's like I feel the pull towards like spirituality again and kind of exploring that and figuring it out on my own terms. And it's it's kind of cool. But I think that I've always had a passion for bringing like helping people achieve their goals or bringing out the best in people and helping them see how great their community or Calgary can be. When I lived in New York, it was like such a struggle to find that community because everybody's transient, you know? And once you find your group, you're kind of like, okay, nobody else can come in because this is my little secret. And I feel like in Calgary, it's the opposite. Like everybody's so willing to collaborate. You just have to like find where your people are. If I'm able to offer the opportunity for people, like the experiences so that people can make those connections, then I just feel like Calgary has so much potential to be just as fun and great and creative of a city as Montreal, Toronto, New York, wherever, right? Like find our own unique identity, so. Well, how long were you in New York and what were you there for? And I was in New York in 2013. I was working first as an intern for a year for a company that did marketing and communications consulting for universities. So basically we 
got hired by universities all around the world to be like, look at our website, look at our um, recruitment efforts, like how can we get more international degree seeking students? For a while, that was like our bread and butter, like every university wanted to learn how to market better. And I got that job because I was living in France for two years doing my master's, um, just in like business randomly, but um, my focus was always on like strategy, operations consultant, and like corporate culture, like how to build culture, you know, how to, um, make things last, I guess, based on the people that you have rather than kind of your product. And so, yeah, when I was in New York, I started volunteering for this uh, organization called New York Cares and they made volunteering super easy for people who were busy. And I was like, Calgary needs this. Like if I'm volunteering here, I should, I should be spending my time building up the community that I grew up in that I want to give back to. And um, at the time, 2013, there was the flood and I was like watching from a from afar, you know, the greatest volunteer effort of the past 50 years happening and I couldn't be a part of it. And I was like, I need to go back. Like, I want to be a part of this journey with all these Calgarians, you know? And so I moved back and I still continued to work for the company for a couple of years, just remotely and traveling and stuff like that. But when I came back, I was just like, where are people volunteering these days? And the general answer was like, not really anywhere. And um, I wanted to solve that problem. And so that's how Volley kind of became a thing. Essentially, where were you in France? Where did you live? I, w I lived in Lille, which is like 30 minutes from Brussels and an hour from Paris. And it was like a university town. It's, it's cool. It's like, because uh, I was going to ask you your perspective of Calgary, both as a sort of native Calgarian, but now with all of these perspectives of being in different mm -hmm. countries, different cultures, larger, more dense populations. Yeah. Um, you know, not to compare to Europe or to New York, but coming from Toronto, like you described, when you have this certain population density, people have a harder time to connect with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think urbanization in general has this problem over history. Um, Calgary's a weird thing though, because my experience is that, uh, yeah, there's this, definitely a community energy yeah there's a there's some blocks mm -hmm. and um, I think this is why when we talk in the past we we're connected on some of these things I I don't know why and I don't I don't know what to do about it yeah um, so yeah I mean what's what's your feeling about Calgary itself I mean it's hard to generalize an entire city yeah there's gonna be pockets particularly in you know, urban suburban different you know uh, demographics etc um, I think that um Last year and the year before, and also for any listeners out there, one really good way to get to know your city, because I'm always so curious about like what is happening in Calgary, um, is to go on Jane's Walks. And so they're sponsored by the Calgary Foundation, but basically individual community members, like let's say you love Elbow Park or you love um, Park Hill and you want to do a history tour or like just even an urban walk you can post it on the website. It happens once a year in May and you can learn about the neighborhood and it's just like citizens giving tours on why they love their community or something unique about their community. And so I always thought that I was like, maybe this whole community vibe thing that I'm feeling is because I was always a part of kind of the um, all ages like music scene and the artist scene. And maybe that's why I feel so connected. But when I did these tours around in the suburbs of Calgary, like Coventry Hills and Harvest Hills and, you know, Minapore and stuff, I learned that there's actually that same energy in all the pockets of Calgary, actually, which was super surprising because people often write off suburbs and they're like, oh, well, it's just, you know, rows of houses, rows of houses, identical homes, nimbyism, whatever. But there's actually this new wave of people who have moved out to the suburbs, but are trying to build that sense of community over there as well. Like, um, 
lots of innovative things in terms of like crime watch that's happening and like community building events and vivo center is this great hub now for like working out but also like library also like social services and they have a night market up there i mean i can't speak for any other canadian city but i feel like i meet a lot of calgarians that are like i want to do better for calgary like i want to work towards planning something that whole. puts yeah for our community and that puts calgary on the map because i'm really passionate about it. like i'm willing to put out those extra hours and um it's not easy like you get fatigued and you hit a lot of these blocks where people are like eh, maybe not now or not maybe not here like volley when we first started like i was like hey i'll find the people to build it and it'll be a good idea and like so many organizations were just like you know what not for us they just didn't want to take the risk what I have heard about Calgary is that there's a lot of innovation and entrepreneurship, but sometimes the buy-in is what's really hard. And so people end up going elsewhere, like they end up in Vancouver, Toronto, the States, um, and they do really well there. And then Calgary hears about it in like five years and it's like, oh, the founder was from Calgary. And it's like, what? Like, that's one thing that I'm trying to stop is I'm like, let's, if there's people in Calgary doing something amazing and something really cool, like we should, help build that up, you know, support them. Yeah, you, you brought up this idea, I mean, both the buy-in and then the sense of uh, fear and risk, whether it's entrepreneurial art or anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is that? Is it just uh, in your idea? Like, is it just short-term thinking? And this almost like, uh, selfishness is such an accusatory word, but do you think there's too much of a narrative of, like, I'm going to lose something right now, so I can't even think about what this might do in five years? Or is it just part of the... <sighs> I mean, it's, that's a hard. Yeah, it's really tough. I think that if you talk to somebody on a peer, like economy wise, where it's like, well, why aren't we diversifying enough from oil and gas? And why are we not doing tech or agricultural technologies, improvements, healthcare? You know, Calgary has so much potential. But I think that there's this unique experience that a large majority of the Calgarians had and a lifestyle that they really got used to. And after hearing kind of, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, there was this like whole feed between this guy, this girl and Brett Wilson. They were arguing about like the perks of like oil and gas at the time. It became this like whole scandal trending on Twitter. But basically she was like, I totally get why people want to go back to those heydays of oil and gas because it was like lavish parties, crazy bonuses. Everybody drove like an $80,000 car. Um, it was really good for the people. And so it is hard for them. They're kind of in the like one foot out, one foot in situation right now where they're like well i'm gonna dabble a little bit in tech or like i'm gonna show some interest in healthcare but i really feel like oil and gas is gonna come back because it has like it was just like one of those too big to fail things and so um i think a lot of times we're like oh that's cute but i'm just gonna stick with this because i think that this is ultimately the like the ideal situation is if this comes back and if i go into something else and this comes back then i'm out of it so you know it's like a fear of missing out, like, um, yeah, yeah, a whole industry. The, only, the word in my mind as you're talking is, uh, again, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just in a negative mood, it's about uh, an almost like an entitlement. And it's such a juxtaposition, it's big words to think, because you went to university. Um, <laughs> just to make sure I'm keeping, no, uh, again, like with this community building yeah. sentiment, which is fascinating, because when I characterize entitlement, it's this idea of like this, whether it's an oil exec or somebody from, uh, you know, actually laboring but making, you know, 150 grand mm -hmm. in six months, 
that's like while、well, getting in my I I was out I tell the story a lot but I was out with Tana and at a green party、oh, thing、cool. with Jake yeah yeah and, and they wanted to go to Kent Hare's office at the, you know this is a few years ago、uh, with a bunch of、um, stereotypical like old hippies and show them like you know pollution but they were met so there's sixty of the green party they were met by probably two or three hundred. They call them black shirts here, or something like that. So they're oil and gas people. Oh yeah. And the vitriol, like I, like they were the. I mean, there was banter each way, but Tanner was afraid. I got afraid. Like, yeah. And the things they were saying were very entitled. It was、yeah. about like you know my money, my house. Don't you like?、Um, so I, that was how I characterized that at the time because it just felt very selfish. Yeah. And、uh, there is a level where that's justified because. You know, if you're gonna lose your house, you feel、Absolutely. like you can't feed. You know, there's、yeah. fear for sure.、Um, so then, how do we get away from again the, sh- the short-term idea that this is my fears, like right now, and like what if I can't afford my next car payment or lose my house to this mortgage, to the long-term thing, which is why I think there's even a paradox. Like, we love Calgary so much, we need Calgary to grow as a city,、yeah. but not at the risk of me individually. Right, it doesn't work. Right, you have to actually. Give it all up for the bigger、yeah. thing. Maybe I don't know if that's too idealistic, but I can't promise you the short term. Yeah,、understand. like you can't. It takes time to build, just like it took time to build what oil and gas was today. It's just like a different, like globally too. Like there's a lot happening in terms of. I think I was telling you how, or no, I was telling my friend how we were watching the thing between, like this new rail system between Russia and China, and it was like amazing. And there's so much trade and. Knowledge transfer, and it just makes sense because geographically they're so close together, and yet in Canada I feel like we're always looking so far away to make things happen. Like, oh, we want to trade internationally with China, but we just can't really compete all the time. And it's like, well, what about at home? Like, I always say that it's kind of like the foundation of a house. Like, if the foundation isn't good, then any other kind of like bells and whistles you put around it won't last, right? So. I'm all about building up the capacity of Calgarians to like have the autonomy and、um, the power to change the city that like create the city that you want to live in, right? Like whether it's entrepreneurs through my day job and like helping them find retail space and growing their business, or if it's somebody who wants to really liven up or make this community that they live in safer. It's like how do I empower them with the skills and the knowledge and the connections so that they can go forth and do that because. If everybody's just apathetic, like yeah, Calgary will rot. Yeah, it will rot. Like it, I don't know. I don't feel like pe- creative people or artists or anybody really feels supported in Canada. Like we're always like, oh well, if we're gonna cut something, it's arts and culture and tech and stuff first.、Um, can't、and、shake.、Education. Yeah, like education, healthcare. Like、yeah. can't shake things up with oil and gas because the lobbying efforts are so strong, and they're the ones with the media connections. They're the ones like. You know, that ha- can afford to have the loudest voice, right? And that's kind of what's happening in this movement in Canada right now, where it's like, when you one thing I always say with volunteering is like you learn about somebody else's situation and then you become an ambassador for their voice, you know, because they may not have the privilege to speak up like you do. And so whether it's、uh, through my experience with immigrants or seniors or whatever or Chinatown, I'm always like, oh my god, do you know about this? To people who probably haven't had the interaction, because these seniors or these immigrants or these students that are low income, like they don't have a platform to speak at, and so I find like I'm like it's my job to speak up for them and tell share their story because 
if you don't know about what's happening, like you're going to base your decision making on voting, on policies, on what you think is important, on just yourself, on like the selfishness that you talked about, right? So I always say that it's one thing to read about things in like the paper and the websites and seeing those like cause.org like articles where it's like, oh my God, the pandas or whatever, yeah. right? And that's why I'm always like, you know, don't become depressed or like down on that because if you go out and you were to actually volunteer and help out these causes that you really care, if you're like really, you're marching in the women's march and you really care about equity, then go out and like bring up, help these women that are struggling to get up to an equitable level of employment, of education, literacy, go and volunteer and help them. Like teach them how to read, teach them how to find a job so that they can get to that level, you know? Uh, you know, I mean, just to maybe segue out of we're getting into politics, it's getting going to become angry. No, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what you do with Tigerstead and all the work you do. And I'm realizing what we need is kind of like what you're doing is all of these aims that you have, but do it in a way that isn't uh, combative mm -hmm. and making it fun. So yeah. you're doing it in a different way where we'll have a night market and promote a neighborhood event yeah. instead of going out on a pulpit and telling everybody else they're doing everything fucking right. wrong. Um, and it's fascinating to think about, yeah, how do we make uh, med medical infrastructure fun? Yeah. You know, how do we make all these different technology fun instead of it being about the short-term uh, personal sort of wealth gain? Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking too about oil and gas. Oil and gas is not fun, mm -hmm. but the people have maybe generations have forgotten, like you were talking about earlier, how much it took to get to where we were. Yeah. And now we're just expecting the the results of that industry. Exactly. So yeah, how do we make things fun in Calgary? <laughs> I don't know, but I think I look at like hospitals and government offices and doctors, like everything. I'm just like, why isn't there more color or like, I don't know. I always have this dream, like my net, like one project that I always wanted to do is like to build like a super fun daycare co-working space, you know, where it's like parents can go there and like their kids can have after school programming or daycare and at like a, an affordable cost. Right. Like I really find that, um, it's stuff that the government should be doing. I think that they could definitely be more innovative, but it's like, if you don't provide the space and the opportunity for people to grow, like you're basically asking them to start from scratch all the time. And it's really hard to scale up. Um, I think that it's, it is changing. Like recently I was at this um, nonprofit nearby called Chrysalis. And so traditionally they do um, day programs for adults who have mental disabilities down like maybe you have down syndrome or maybe you have you're born with like um, some sort of mental disability and so you can go there and for the longest time it was just kind of like okay drop the parents drop you off or the handy bus drops you off and you're just like on an ipad or watching tv like totally dormant for eight hours and then they pick you up and you go home and it's like a disaster because your mood is bad you haven't had any simulation like people are trying but um, the program just isn't the right fit. And this organization as a whole, I don't know how it started, but they decided to take this like human-centered approach in terms of human-centered design, which is something that you hear with, you know, innovative like design companies all over the world, but now they're applying it in the nonprofit context. And it's actually so cool because they've changed their program and they've taught all their staff to do this, where they actually spend like four weeks with the individual, just observing, just trying to find out like, why do they do the things that they like to do or why does something really piss them off or anger them? Like what is the activity that we could do to ensure that they are thriving and that they're positive and that 
when they go home, it's like, I'm relaxed and I had a good day and I feel stimulated and I'm happy to be home. Like I feel a sense of purpose. I think that's their whole thing. And I was so impressed by that because it's super easy to just keep doing things the old way and hoping that, well, I know things should change, but I'm not going to be the one to do it because it's a lot of work. And also I have a fear of rejection and I don't want to take a risk. And what if it doesn't turn out well? What happens then? Right. And so for me, I'm always like, I don't know, maybe it sucks. Like maybe nobody's going to come to this event, but I'm going to try everything in my power to make sure that it succeeds as much as possible so that, you know, I don't have any regrets, you know, and if it doesn't work, then we'll just review and like go on the next time. But it's a lot of it is like talking to like, what do you guys want? Like, what do you want to see in this neighborhood? What would you be fun? And um, I am very cognizant that like, yeah, I do need to sleep eight hours and I, I can't do everything for everybody. And so it's really m- m- much more important that I if I can offer an opportunity or information or space or connections, and that's like the best thing I can do because I wanna not spread, but I guess empower people to do stuff on their own so that I'm not the only one who has to do it all the time. It's fascinating because yeah, I'm mired. I get caught in the worst thinking often, you know? I mean, the perspective stuff was meant to go the other way, but I think it, it fell other than the sickness and all this stuff. Yeah. Fell, because I started worrying about how long it was going to take yeah. to become something or catch something. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great. It's refreshing. I mean, it's great sitting with you yeah. because, <laughs> you know, you're always doing something that feels, um, yeah, for the people, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, but it's really selfish too because I'm just like, I, it's like stuff that I either always wanted to experience or I see people doing elsewhere and I'm like, we could do that here. Or like, you know, and I want to see it happen. I'm like, well, nobody else is doing it. And so, yeah, let's just make it happen and like do it with as little resources as possible. Because even if we were all thriving in like a super strong economy, like as I'm getting older and I'm paying bills, I'm like, okay, it's way better to just like, it's not about how much you earn, but how much you save, right? And so the more you collaborate and the more you're like smart with how you use your resources, the risk is a lot lower. I'm always just like, well, let's think about ideas first. Like, let's think about how we could do this with like the least amount of resources and then go from there when we need money. It's totally different when it comes to fundraising though. Like if I'm like, oh, I need to raise money for the Calgary Immigrant Women's Association. I'm like, give me all your money. Like I am a salesman, but but it's different. Like when it comes to doing projects, like I'm very aware that I really like out of all the things that I value, it is like autonomy and like flexibility to do what I want and like in the way that I want it to be done. Just because you introduced uh, one more thing that you actually do, I'm going to tease you and say that you should send me like a CV of all the stuff and I could post on Instagram, but there's only a certain number of characters. So probably. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even, I can't even remember the last time I had to like write a CV because it's just like, like, yeah, it would be, it would be so long, but I think that it's all just, I'm a very curious person and I sometimes, I don't know, like a lot of people are like, well, you're not going to be like this in 10 years. Like you're going to be like burnt out or you're going to, but I actually don't get home and feel super burnt out all the time. Like obviously at the end of the year and there's like a ton of projects like finishing up and culminating that I'm like, oh my God, I need time to rest and recharge. But on a daily basis, I'm always just so energized, like having conversations like this, meeting people and just being like, what makes you tick? Like, what do you see for yourself in the next 10 years, 15 years? What is the city that you want to live in? Like, it's so interesting to me because it people totally change. Like if you ask them about their job, they're like, see. 
when you see someone that's kind of stuck somewhere like yeah that, like it's just that's the thing yeah. it's like if you love going to work every day and you're happy and you're an active member of your community whatever that looks like like good for you like you don't have to talk to me or you don't have to come to my event like but if you're somebody who needs like a little nudge or a little inspiration or some help along the way to kind of get you to where you want to go then like please come and chat and like let's brainstorm I mean, uh, just a quick show. I mean, I feel like I mentioned it before, but I think you must have been raised a certain way. So I'm sure your family has an influence. I don't know if you want to give them this much credit, but it's I, interesting to see yeah. how much balance you have because <laughs> even the, I mean, outside of like, I mean, you brought up earlier, uh, we didn't specifically speak about your parents, but you know, even the Christian Foundation and trying yeah. to be charitable, but um, hearing these sort of worldwide idea that no matter what you're doing, you still feel there's a priority to sleep and take care of yourself. Those are not easy concepts. I mean, I don't know if they come naturally or if they were learned in a in a tragic way, but those are things <laughs> that a lot of people don't understand. And I, I still, I talk a lot about it, but right. I still don't know how to manage that for myself. Um, so Aren't that's you pretty like, Yeah, I don't know. My dad was like a notorious sleeper though. He's always like out, like he's, if you've, ever talk to my dad he's like does a billion other things like he's crazy he's on like natural speed or something like I don't know everybody that meets him is just like what is this energy and where does it come from but I honestly think it's a gift like it's this unique person that got this special superpower that not a lot of people have and it's like you could either use it for good or for evil and luckily he uses it for good and he helps a lot of people and I think it's that for my parents like we were all really like it was a struggle growing up because every you know working immigrants illiterate like they really had to build themselves up and um work was just like a normal thing like being out and about like working at the restaurants like from five years old we would like go clean restaurants with my parents before school it was just a normal thing we didn't see it as work it was just like this is what we do as a family like you didn't know any different but as we grew up it was just kind of like having a really good work ethic was always ingrained in us because it was like if you wanted to see your parents you'd have to go to work um and then giving back to the community like for them it was the church community and it was funny because when i moved back to calgary and i was like oh my gosh i love volunteering and i want to keep doing it my dad was like no why are you volunteering you should be looking for a job like what about financial security what about you know making a name for yourself and i was just like rebellious and i was just like no like let me do it my way. But also having to reframe it for him being like, if it wasn't for volunteers helping you as a refugee in Calgary back in the eighties, you would not be who you are today. So you should be grateful that I have the opportunity to choose what I do in my life. And that's because you volunteered. It's because of the community around you. So yeah, they have a really good work ethic and they're super generous and <laughs> yeah, I would quip that clearly your dad's gift is not that unique, Alice, because you, you definitely generate that same energy. Maybe um, it's genetic. Yeah, clearly something or learn yeah. either way. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I, I mean, the second thing I want to talk about, I'm not talk, but just note is uh, this idea of work ethic and practice is so crucial. And whether intentionally, just by circumstance, mm -hmm. I think intentional, especially with uh, working immigrants, um, here, for example, that at five or at a young age, that you're somewhere where you have to put in time, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge learning experience as well, which a lot of people, no, some people just don't 
uh, get. I definitely didn't. Helen, uh, you know, I always have to bring up Helen, but Helen has that yeah. innately. Uh, and she's always been good at just putting work in and just trying to figure stuff out. Um, and I've been sort of the opposite. I, I do things like <laughs> she brought up, like when I was working the insurance job that I hated, I was yeah. the only person that got certified. And so I do it resentfully. Yeah. Like I don't do it because I enjoy it. And yeah. I don't do it for... Um, constructor race. Yeah. I just, uh, mostly self-punishment. But um, so I've been trying to instill that in Emerson, our son, uh, but it's, it's uh, that's a whole other thing. Like just practicing. It doesn't matter whether you get it. It's like doing it over and over again. Yeah. Um, and it's commitment. It's like just respecting time. Like things take time if you want it to happen. Like I think I meet a lot of business owners, honestly, that are like, well, I haven't made any profit in the first year, so I'm shutting down. And I'm giving up on it and it's like, man, it takes like years to build up a business. Like I think that in, now with social media and everything, it seems like everything happens so fast. It's pretty false though. It's pretty misleading. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then people get, you know, they're attracted to that and they're like, well, it's so easy. Like, why don't I just do this business that is making this guy a hundred million dollars a year or whatever, but you don't look at the background where it took him 20, 15, 20 years to build that up. You know, like some people, look at there's always like benevity people are like oh is volley going to be like benevity one day you know this giant corporation all about giving social corporate responsibility and like giving back and stuff like that and i was like yeah if we put in 10 years like it didn't he didn't invent that overnight it didn't just happen he didn't get funding like in one day it took a lot of conversations a lot of hard work a lot of investment and like around 10 years for them to get that building on fourth avenue right so yeah, i think people would be kids these days would be shocked to learn that netflix started off as a male dvd a dvd mailing like system over yeah. 15 years ago <laughs> yeah like crazy like a lot of a lot of the businesses that i meet that are like mom and pop that have withstood this like test of time are the ones that like really prioritize like excellent customer service like the it not even just customer service, but like the bond between you and your customer. It's like you make them feel special and you appreciate them every time they come into your shop. Like you don't take it for granted. And like that's something that's really hard to build if you're not the owner that's present every day, right? So that's where corporate culture comes in. It's like how do you instill that kind of really small town village mentality in a giant corporation and, you know. Yeah, that becomes its own debate. Yeah, it's hard. And how do you enable your employees to be creative? And it's like, there's lots of, you'll hear all the time people who work in traditional professional fields that are like, man, I suggested something to my boss about how we could be doing things better. And I was shut down. So uh, not doing that again. Do again yeah. yeah. And it's like, you're the person that I want to work for me. You know, like I want the people who challenge the status quo and who have new ideas and want to try something new because that's how all the big success stories happen in closing presumably we'll see if this starts up another conversation <laughs> um, so i was in toronto uh for christmas yeah and um not to make this too much self-pitying but just before we went to toronto i was out uh, on a camera shoot and uh, i was racially abused yeah. said, by a man on the street and so when i went to toronto uh, i kind of uh, told my dad about it uh, while we were driving somewhere or rather he, when he told me we had to drive somewhere yeah uh, and um he had a it's funny like he's kind of brought this up and i've been very i never understood it he was an architect my mom was a teacher eventually and so we were more uh, in this middle class thing where i became very entitled because i didn't have to work for a long right. time and it was 
it's not their fault. I also have, because my brother and sister are better at this than me. Yeah. But, like I'm exceptionally childish. So whenever this idea of either paying it forward or working hard to do anything, um, I just tell people to go fuck themselves. Yeah. And somehow, you know, life is inevitable. <laughs> you have to do it anyways. But it just made me very unhappy doing it. Yeah. Uh, so well, we were driving and I told them this thing happened and that it's made me very keenly aware of how different Toronto and Calgary are in a, in a very surface, you know, racial thing. And it's not that I want to move back to Toronto, but it just made me feel very uncomfortable. And he said that, when he came in 72, he's like, you have to remember in 72, Korean people were not considered humans yet. They were right. still a third world country. And, you know, uh, I mean, Seoul National University had some credit, but they didn't recognize yeah. his degrees. And and so uh, if I remember the conversation, right, he said, essentially, you got to uh, first wave immigrants have to come. And I think your parents can attest to this. And you got to you got to fucking you got to work. Yeah. And you got to push and you got to do things that nobody else will do. But then he said, which I think was something that I finally understood, he goes, you have to do it too. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, even though, like, because in Toronto, the Korean community is quite big. Mm -hmm. And they're, there's a lot of success there. Um, you know, there's huge public churches and huge communities. Yeah. And there's, like, big Korea towns now. Right. And he's like, it's not enough. He says, that's just the beginning of this road. And the concept of, like, equality or this concept yeah. of um, being seen as something that's doing something he's like we're not even close to that yeah and so you have to the next generation and next generation have to keep pushing and doing things you need want to do and just do yeah extra stuff and i just feel like watching you i think innately you kind of understand that because you just you, you don't i'm convinced you don't sleep but you, you keep pushing <laughs> for these uh community goals not just uh, for other you know immigrant asians but yeah. like for calgary yeah and i wonder if that's just something that all Calgarians need to think about, not even the context of uh, race or gender or sexuality, but like even just as Calgary. It's like as much as Calgary wants to believe that we're the center. I mean, Toronto for sure believes we're the center of the universe, but Calgary, you know, with all this separation bullshit, but like Calgary's like, you know, we're oil. So fuck you. You have to listen yeah. to us. I think they, you know, people, if people could realize you just got to do even more. I think the voice is changing a little bit. Like I think the voice that's saying, no, we're more than oil is growing. As they see, it's like those, it's the same thing. It's the pioneers that came and they were the first, you know, first time people marched in front of city hall for equity or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, there was like 30 people and now it's like 500 people and it grows because people are like Calgarians or I don't know, people in general, it's like you kind of sit at the sidelines. They're like the, they're not the early adopters. They're the people who are like, okay, let's see how it goes. And once I know for sure that it's risk-free and i know you know if somebody said like tries to you know if you stand up for something you have to get ready to like um argue and kind of like fight for your position and a lot of people are not ready to do that because they're not they don't have enough information or they don't have enough education on the issue and they don't want to take that risk and come off as like ignorant or offensive or whatever so a lot of the times the fear isn't from losing face it's more just like i don't want to piss anybody off because I didn't have enough information. So now a couple of years of the movement, even if you see the Me Too stuff or the Women's March or Black Lives Matter, like people are just like getting better at formulating their arguments and their positions and they're more articulate about it. And there's lots of good examples. And you also have the champions that are coming out that are like, you know what? I do have a bigger voice and I should, you know, I'm just going to go out there and say something because I don't care if I shake up any feathers because I think this is important. And I, I see that a lot with like celebrities, like influencers, you know, they're all kind of 
stepping into the podium and trying to like for better for worse yeah exactly (laughs) like and it's never going to be perfect and that's the thing like somebody's always going to gripe about something you know like it's never going to be perfect but it's better that everybody does a little bit of something even if it's not perfect than if everybody just is static and suffocating you know um but i do like the other part of calgary like which is what i love about tigers is like we meet a lot of people who are moving into calgary who are moving into those like Crescent Heights, Mount Pleasant neighborhoods. And I'm like, where did you move from? And it's like Toronto, Vancouver, sometimes the States. And it's like, why Calgary? And they're like, well, you know, not to you guys, but it's still pretty affordable here if you're coming from Vancouver or Toronto. Like I can get a whole house with a yard for my family and um, I can start my own little business. Like one was like a drum teacher, the other one was whatever, right? Like, um, but they see a lot of potential in Calgary. And I think what they see is what I saw where it's like opportunity because why start something in Toronto or New York when you have like so much competition when you could do that here and make it unique and like tell a good story, you know? I think that's the thing. I was like, if I've ever wanted to start anything like Calgary would be the place because um, you have a good support network, but also not that many people do that much stuff, so. (laughs) I think in closing too, I wanted to just get a final idea of your overall opinion where Calgary's at, but I think we did that. I mean, again, there's, it's too simple. Uh, it's oversimplified to just use it in one line, but yeah, Calgary's in that, in, I think it's in that in-between stage. There's We're so growing. many people that come yeah. and it's, there's fertile soil, so to speak. Yeah. But, um, I started to read that Guns, Germs and Steel, but I, I you know, I lost the library date because mm. it holds. One of the fascinating things he's talked about growing culture is um, that all these winning cultures start off because they got agriculture first. And uh, which is kind of surprising because, you know, if you think about weapons, whatever, you always think like, you know, who invents the bullet? But he's like, it has nothing to do with that. It's urbanization. Yeah. And I wonder, Calgary's in this stage where we're still tilling some new soil. And I mean, you're doing this thing where you're trying to plant all these seeds and get people going. And... uh, you know, can't lose that energy. No. Uh, I think there's a threat of that too. Yeah. Of just giving it up. Yeah, for sure. Where it's like sometimes where it's like, oh man, I don't want to like, you get exhausted, right? Like fatigue is real. Because when when we were volunteering in Chinatown, it was just like, you're just trying so hard to drive home why this community is so important to these seniors and why we have to respect its history. And you're just like, it's falling on deaf ears or people don't understand. You're just like, ah, oh, but like, you're going to hate yourself so much when it's gone, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm that crazy person with the sign on the side of the street that's like, save this before you regret it. And I think that's why I have such a passion for sharing the history of it. Because what I've found that's way better than a social media campaign or um, going on the news is like literally just like one-to-one Calgarian. Like, let me take you on a tour of Chinatown and tell you the 130-year history of this neighborhood and all the work that people have done to build this and all the things that you normally wouldn't see. Cause it's like, you were talking about racism earlier, like Chinatown always has a bad rep where it's like, oh yeah, they don't participate in civic matters. They don't vote, they don't da 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 da. And it's like, yes, they do. But like, they literally built out this whole neighborhood based on those concepts, you know, like they do engage. Um, they're just not like sharing it all the time on social media or like- and also Asian yeah. culture dictates yeah. the opposite uh, public- Exactly, public like face. everybody's just like, we do it because it's our duty. And that's what you were talking about when it's like, even if you don't wanna do something, you do it because it's for a greater 
cause, you know, it's for sustainability, for longevity, whatever it is, for culture, for values, virtues. And it just takes a matter of understanding value for value. It's like the same thing when people price out an item and it's like, well, why is it like, I don't want to pay $40 for this, this thing, but it's like, then it's your job as the producer or the artist or whatever, um, or the child who wants to pursue a dream to articulate the value that you see in it so that those people have buy-in. Because usually the clash happens when I don't understand the value. There's a disconnect. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I will say about artists is I'm, I was having this um, conversation with my friend Jules who does like the ring making workshop because she's like, has a, such a hard time pricing. And I think that's artists in general because artists and like a lot of the people who work in nonprofits and community builders, like they do everything out of passion and out of like, I would do it if I wasn't paid, you know, like I love this so much and I think it's so important. I, I always say that for any artists out there, there's like the Carfax listing of, um, what artists should be paid like across Canada based on like a painter for an hour's painting is this or like a photographer should be pricing at this level and it's like just to keep it standardized so that you don't have to question what to charge because this is what it should be. I mean artists have difficulty becoming good business people for I think this yeah. reason. Um, yeah this disconnect between uh, passion and then having to tell other people about self -worth. it's so vulnerable <laughs> it's like we're always willing to give more of ourselves before we have enough that's kind of like what i find with artists like they're always like oh take everything and then i'll just take what's left yeah yeah and that's so exhausting it's so sad but that's why i think tiger said it's important because it's like we're building this community of people who do understand value who mm. do understand how to appreciate what time it takes to even just think of something or invent something or paint something or whatever it is lead a workshop it's hard yeah so you go to salt and found because of kale and kitty mm -hmm. not because of coffee no i mean it helps that their coffee's like really good sure yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but on the flip side you know you can have relationships with people but or you go to these independents and there's yeah. actually like a husband and wife team that's like they're human beings yeah and they tell you about what it is and they're you can feel the passion when you talk yeah. to them. Yeah, and they are like community leaders in their own right because they're interacting with people every day. Yeah. You know, um, I always say that this is like a hub and this is so important that you guys keep doing what you're doing because I know people who go to Starbucks and find, have a sense of community there and sure. that's totally fine. Of course. It's just that with a giant corporation as your boss, like you're going to get laid off and then that barista is gone and your whole sense of community is suddenly gone. You know, whereas lots of people at, like loved going to the Starbucks across from Katie and Caleb because of the baristas there. Like we were friends with the baristas there. Um, and then it just shut down one day and those people had to move. And then all these people suddenly felt like. What happened to me? Yeah, it's like grieving yeah. almost, you yeah. know, like this place that you went to where you had a sense of purpose and you had your friends and you had your routine. Um, but Kitty and Caleb as small business owners, like the people that employ, like there's like more emphasis on a human life almost like they're just not they're not just like a number on a spreadsheet for payroll it's like i know about this person and i'm going to do whatever i can to preserve them if i can and i'm going to work that much harder to ensure that i can keep them employed right yeah. so well thanks yeah <laughs> has it been an hour probably more 11 16. Yeah, let me take a quick make sure my phone's still recording yeah um Thank you so much yeah, for coming over. Yeah, thanks for chatting. It's been super fun. Yeah, it's been too long actually since I've seen yeah. you. Yeah. At least uh, in a human, in, physical Yeah, human. in person. I know. It's crazy. 
yeah, I got to be inspired too from our talk and just get outside a little bit more. But. Well, yeah. And I never like think that there, I'm not like everybody should be doing this. Like everybody no. should be volunteering or should be pursuing their passion. Like it takes time, but it's like, if you're curious about it, know that you have to bring yourself up there. Our main sponsor for this episode is ATB Financial Entrepreneur Center. Daniel had a dream to start his own electronic bike business in Alberta. Even though he had initial success on his own, he was having trouble finding a bank to help him. Then he saw the literal sign when he spotted ATB's Entrepreneur Center. With ATB's help, he was able to expand his product line and e-store and now has a successful online business. His story shows that when banking isn't a barrier, great things can happen. To hear more about Daniel's journey, visit atv.com slash Daniel or visit atbentrepreneurcenter.com to learn how ATV can help you and your business.